Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Beyond the Headline, the news and news analysis podcast for the Bay Area News Group. This is our third podcast, so we're going strong. As always, I'm your host, Robert Salonga, crime and public safety reporter with the Mercury News. Our normal partner in crime, Matthias Gaffney, is out investigating stuff right now, so he'll be joining us next week. But I've got our trusty super producer, Paul Baca, alongside me, so we will muster through. How's it going, Paul? Hi, everybody. All right. In this episode, we'll discuss and explore the issue of campus sexual assault and how universities in the Bay Area and beyond are informing students when they occur in their communities. A lot of the talk in the recent past has been anchored around the case of Brock Turner, the former Stanford swimmer who was convicted of raping an unconscious woman outside a fraternity house last year. He was handed a relatively light sentence and has since moved back to Ohio as a registered sex offender. Just over the past week, he was the literal face of the issue in an awareness campaign run at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Since then, we've had more incidents that occurred at Stanford, one of which elicited campus alerts and one that didn't, and a string of sexual assaults alleged against another student-athlete at San Jose State University has prompted the administration to revamp how they keep students in the loop. To help us sort this out, we're joined by Katie Murphy, higher education reporter extraordinaire with the Bay Area News Group, who's been covering this issue closely over the past year for us. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thanks for having me. And so we'll get right into it. Uh, Walk us through the last few instances uh, where this has come up, particularly at Stanford and San Jose State. Okay, so Stanford put out an alert in September about a student who had uh, reported she was sexually assaulted in a dorm. And then later we learned of another case in which a student, a graduate student was arrested uh, and originally was accused of a uh, woman who was not a student of sexual assault, uh, but the campus did not put out an alert uh, for that uh, for that report. And so, and then we found out about a case at San Jose State um, in which a former and a water polo player who's a freshman uh, has been accused of sexually assaulting two other student athletes at the same party over Labor Day weekend. And um, those victims came forward at different times. One came immediately uh, forward to police, and the other came. Um, you know, it took a couple of weeks. Uh, for her to report the crime, but uh, the campus did not report uh, or send out an alert to students about this either. So that made us look into the whole issue of, well, how often do campuses uh, put out these timely warnings or alerts to students? Because we see them, they go out often, you know, for all kinds of crimes. Um, But we wondered, well, what is the criteria when um, when is a sexual assault considered um, dangerous enough to the whole campus for it to warrant an alert to go out to everybody? And when does it not? And um, does that criteria make sense? Right. And so I'm going to refer to one of your more recent stories. Uh, it mentioned at San Jose State, San Francisco State, Cal State East Bay, and UC Berkeley, campus police inform students of less than 30% of sex offenses on or near their campuses. And it also had the line, its students got more warnings about mountain lion sightings than about a problem drawing unprecedented attention at campuses everywhere. What is behind this uh, kind of selective or inconsistent alert uh, practice? 
Well, we looked at Stanford, and what I did was I compared the I, – I asked for all the alerts that went out to campus in the calendar year in 2015 and then compared it to the crime stats um, for, for sex offenses that the campuses are required to collect and, and report every October um, for that same year. And I at Stanford, because that was one of the cases in question where we were – asking questions about why they didn't send out an alert. Um, for that year, there actually was only one alert that was related to uh, sexual assault that went out to students when that same year they got uh, 25 reports of rape and uh, 39 total um, reports of sex offenses. And that was the campus that had two alerts for mountain lion sightings. And so that's just one example at San Jose State, they sent out five uh, five alerts when there were 17 total reports of um, sex offenses, according to the same um, law. And uh, at UC Berkeley, which actually has is more likely than the other campuses to report sexual assaults by acquaintances, um, they they put out 11 alerts um, for 45 um, sex crimes that they that they logged that year. And so walk us through um, one of, one of the, the, the law or the ordinance that is behind this compulsory uh, crime reporting on campuses is known as the Cleary Act. Uh, what exactly does it require and how uh, adherent are schools in, in terms of uh, following, are they following it to the letter? Are they following it to the spirit? How, what kind of latitude is actually afforded campuses in you know, reporting crimes to students in the community. So this is all um, goes back to in a federal law called the Gene Cleary Act. And Gene Cleary was actually a Lehigh University student who was raped and murdered in her dorm in 1986. And her parents felt that the campus, that there had been a crime escalation on campus and that the administration had failed to notify the campus community about these problems, these safety problems. So it requires all schools, public and private, that get federal money to, to provide information, to collect stats on specific crimes, um, not just sex offenses, you know, robbery as well, and, um, you know, other violent crimes, and to, re and to keep a log somewhere and also to um, provide an annual report with the stats. Um, and that's what we use to, for our analysis. Um, so it requires them to keep those, keep track of those stats every year. And it also requires them to issue an alert or a timely warning or even an emergency warning um, for when they decide that a, um, they've gotten a report that they feel presents a serious or ongoing danger to the campus. So the thing is that there's just a lot of discretion. Um, there's usually one person in a campus police department and possibly somebody in the university administration that handles all these sexual assault complaints that makes the call about whether um, a crime that they have you know, gotten wind of should um, rises to the level of um, you know, an alert. Um, and so I think what I found is that a lot of campuses, they, I don't know if they, I don't know if they see it as 
hiding information, but they're much more likely to put out an alert like a stranger jumps out of the bushes and grabs somebody when they're walking to class. It's like usually uh, sexual batteries that happen, which I would want to know about as a student for sure, um, you know, to random people in public places, but they're much less likely to report um, somebody was assault, you know, sexually assaulted allegedly at a fraternity or at a house party or something. Um, UC Berkeley actually in the in the data we looked at, UC Berkeley was really for 2015 was the only campus that was really reporting those kinds of things. And their argument is, well, you know, these are we we've determined we've identified the suspect, we know who the person is, or we've arrested them, so it makes them less of a threat to campus, and we don't need to broadcast this incident to the whole campus. Sure. Um, they also say, well, you know, we're keeping it, we're not keeping this hidden. We keep crime logs. If people want to see what's going on, they can just go check the crime log. But I don't know about you, Rob, but when I was in college, I didn't know that a crime log existed, or <laughs> if I did, I wouldn't know where to find it. Um, so I think the the counter argument from students is that, you know, well, we need to look at these things differently. Yes, we know who the perpetrator is. It's not some, like, you know, crazy stranger on the loose who's grabbing people, but we we need to know as students when these things come up. So it makes us, it creates a heightened awareness of the types of situations in which these um, sexual assaults are occurring and the, and the prevalence of them um, to make it more real that this is happening, this is happening and it could happen to me. Right. And uh, for the record, I was a crime reporter in college as well. So I was one of the weirdos who was actually looking at the crime log. So I'm a bad example okay, of that. Well, forget that. Forget that question. <laughs> well, along those lines. So uh, you, you touched on it there as far as the advocacy of that argument of, um, you know, informing the students, but not uh, as as one of your uh, sources um in one of your recent stories, I believe uh, San Jose State uh, police official talking about not wanting to inoculate uh, students to uh, these types of incidents. Essentially, it becomes kind of uh, um, like a background noise. They see you know alerts over and over and over again, and then they start to tune them out. Uh, versus that idea of um, you know making it clear that uh, this is a more than regular occurrence on campuses. I mean, what where what what is the balance that uh, things are moving toward if they are? I mean, what 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 are uh, faculty, students, staff? I mean, are they demanding more? Well, I know that at San Jose State, the the one of the victims in the the attack, you know, the um, incident involving the water polo player, she told me she wished the campus had put out an alert about. Um, her report and said that she really, even though there was all this discussion about campus sexual assault, because she hadn't heard of concrete cases, uh, she didn't really think that it could happen to her. And she felt that um, she felt that something should have gone out. And in light of her concerns, I think other people on campus were asking questions about it. Um, the president of San Jose State said that she would look into this and look into the protocols for making the determination. But I don't know. Uh, they said it was too soon to say 
how they might change them, and um, whether that might result in more alerts going out. I think there is just such a growing awareness of this problem that, um, uh, the, in general, of, of this larger problem of sexual violence on campus that once this, I mean, I just don't think that this had really been discussed much before, the alerts. And so I, I think it's possible that campuses will be more likely um, to issue them. But I know that they're, they also, um, the Stanford police spokesperson told me that he has been implored by victims to not issue alerts. And I haven't heard that specifically from any sexual assault victims that I've spoken to, but he said that there's just this trauma and um, they that's he feels like if it was a practice to report every assault or alert broadcast every assault report that comes to their attention, that it might have a chilling effect on people reporting. Even if they're anonymous? I mean, they're not named in these reports. Even if they're, right, they're not, and yeah, they're, I should be clear that these alerts are very vague and often don't even include the exact location or anything that would identify the victim. His claim is that, nevertheless, people might be, they're just worried that it would, people will be talking about it and that it will, they'll be, that, you know, the media will find out and create some kind of media circus around it. And so that, um, it, but the law does not allow the colleges to take that into account. So he did tell me that argument, but he also told me that they, they can't. They have to consider the greater good of the campus. They can't. If a victim says, please, please don't put this out, even anonymously, they are not supposed to um, take that into consideration. Anyway. I see. And going back to San Jose State, you know, you had, you had alluded to it a little bit earlier as far as the president, uh, you know, kind of vowing to uh, re- revisit how they how they handle these alerts. Could you talk a little bit more about what and if, if there is anything specific or, or tangible that was um, you know pledged by the president of San Jose State? Well, that's the thing. I haven't been able to find out exactly what I think she is new this year, and I think she's trying to get a handle on what the protocols are. She said they followed the policy and they followed the law but that because people were concerned about it, they would maybe rethink some of those protocols. But she didn't say exactly which. And the uh, police officers that I spoke to from the campus PD also didn't would not um, enlighten us on <laughs> what that might look like. I see. Um Going back, going back a little bit uh, further on on this general issue, um, at least going back to the um, infamous uh, Virginia case that was covered by Rolling Stone, which a uh, student at the University of Virginia uh, contended that she had been gang raped by uh, some fraternity members, and uh, it turned out that it didn't qu- it didn't happen the way she described, and Rolling Stone essentially uh, eventually had to retract uh, the story and. Uh, is now under multiple lawsuits uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, but going back to that, because that really uh, brought this issue or revived this issue in the national light, it comes in it, over the past years, it's come and gone as far as a, as an issue, as, you know, when 
the Duke, La, the infamous Duke lacrosse uh, incident happened. We had our own incident here in the Bay Area with the De Anza College uh, rape case with uh, in, in, uh, involving allegations against baseball players. Um, have have you as as someone who's covered this uh, pretty intensely over at least the past couple of years? Have you seen a shift in the prominence uh, or our national comfort with discussing and confronting these issues? Um, let's start there. I think that on issues of sexual assault and sexual harassment um, on college campuses, there is just, it's so much more out in the open now. People are, and I first really became aware, I started covering the higher ed beat four years ago. And when I, um, when I started, this wasn't really, at, at that moment, it wasn't a big um, issue. It was not a prominent issue. And then beginning in 2013, when students started um, filing grievances with the Federal Department of Education from these um, elite schools saying that their schools weren't doing enough, I started looking into it. One of the uh, nationwide leaders was actually a student um, at UC Berkeley and was very critical of the campus's response, um, just kind of feeling like victims had no idea, were really confused about the process. They'd go in really vulnerable, reporting what happened to them, hoping to get some justice, not necessarily with the police and the criminal justice, but they went to their own campuses to try to get, you know, the some discipline or, you know, punishment <laughs> um, for the the person who did this to them, and they felt that it was really confusing. They didn't get information about, they weren't getting updates. Um, they weren't clear about their rights. And that has really changed, I think, colleges, not that they've figured it all out, but they have done a lot more lately in requiring training for new students about consent, what, you know, what affirmative consent means, you know, yes means yes, instead of no means no. Um, they've, and they've really, I think, paid more attention. I mean, if you, I know there is still a lot of work to be done, but they've, there's been so much attention paid to this in the last three years. And then, um, also with sexual harassment too, um, just people are coming forward and saying that this happened to me, whereas before almost everybody remained anonymous and, now, there, I think more and more people are coming forward and even telling me, I want you to print my name um, because either I have nothing to be ashamed of. I'm, I'm going to, you know, there's nothing to hide. Um, and so I think some people are taking a stand in that way, which has empowered other people uh, to come forward. So there has been this huge shift. Of course, there still are a lot of people who um, don't want to use their names for obvious reasons, and they fear um, retaliation and, and other repercussions. But I think that it's much more, um, people realize how prevalent it is, so they um, are less likely to feel like they were the only one that this happened to, and they have to keep it a secret. I see, and there, uh, there's a lot of inertia out, out after the uh, Brock Turner conviction uh, that includes uh, an ongoing recall effort for Judge Aaron Persky, the uh, judge who handed down uh, essentially a reduced sentence for uh, Brock Turner. So uh, along those lines, uh, with everything that you just mentioned, do you see that inertia 
um, sustaining itself this time around or uh, as, as opposed to it kind of waxing and waning as it has in the past? Well, I feel like it has really been building over the years. And I think that part of that is due to social media. I mean, I, I wrote the other week or maybe even last week <laughs> about the the reaction um, to Donald Trump's tape about um, grabbing women and how there was this huge backlash and people coming forward and, and sharing their stories. And it reminded me of the, you know, the campus movement, the movement that started on college campuses. And I think that kind of built into this broader, um, you know, this broader conversation about violence against women in, in various sectors of our society. And so um, I, I do see this continuing. Um, in the past year, the sexual harassment issue came up, which is very similar. You know, it's, it's, um, it, and it, it really has to do with a power, you know, these power differentials, um, you know, powerful professors uh, taking advantage of students, particularly graduate students who rely on them for their, um, you know, their uh, recommendation or grades. Uh, and so um, I think that this is all, this is all part of a, a bigger conversation about how women are treated. And um, so I don't really see this going away. And how have things changed for you while covering this? I mean, have you become a a sort of hotline of sorts for, you know, these kinds of reports? I I ask that because uh, covering crime for about a decade now, um, I'll get calls that occasionally will mistake me for a homicide detective or something to that effect. So um, what is how 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 things changed for you? Um, in terms of covering this because it's become such a national issue and we've had two very prominent local instances that have gotten a lot of uh, broad attention. It's definitely reshaped my feet in a way. Um, I mean, I've spent, when, when I took this job four years ago, I didn't, I thought I would be writing about campus budgets and, um, classes. And I, I don't know, I had some idea of, of what the main themes I'd be writing about for, would be. But now um, a, such a huge part of my coverage has, you know, has been these issues because they, they keep popping up and especially here. And people have been writing me. I've, I've definitely gotten some heartbreaking stories from parents saying, you know, this horrible thing happened to my daughter when she was a student at this school um, or that school and you should check out this professor and um, a lot of these cases are hard to pin down so many years after the fact but um, I I definitely have yes I I, people are more likely to come to me and tell me um, but I think they they don't think that I'm I think they're not confused about about who I am or what my role is. Um, like I think sometimes people do with, you know, with crime reporters. A good deal. It's it goes along to my philosophy that in at at its heart, every journalist is a crime reporter in some fashion because we're we're all going to come toward that, whether it's covering politics or tech or higher ed. 
So that's all the time we have for this edition. And as usual, bless you if you've made it all the way through. I'd like to thank Katie for stopping by today. Read her articles at mercurynews.com and eastbaytimes.com. And find her on Twitter at, at Katie Murphy, and that's Katie, K-A-T-Y, like the pop singer. And as always, please send suggestions for future episodes, whether it's a topic or general question you have about something we've covered, or how or why we covered it, to me on Twitter, at Robert Salonga, or our trusty co-host, Matthias Gaffney, at M. Gaffney. We'll talk to you soon on Beyond the Headline. Paul, play us out, my man. <laughs>